everyone, welcome to episode 120 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today we've got Lizzie Ostro, and she's a trainer with a background in glute training and helping everyday people. So we're going to talk about the evolution of glute training and women in strength training in commercial gyms. This is actually one of the best episodes that we've ever recorded in terms of just practical value for someone who's a trainer who's really trying to be better at their craft. So hopefully you'll enjoy all that. We do talk about the argument over the low barrier to entry to our industry and how it's not as simple as the low barrier being bad. Stay tuned for more on that one. And the illusion of easy you see on some people's social media about how easy it is to be a successful trainer and some of the reality in Liz's experience. Stay tuned and enjoy. Shut up and sit down. All right, today on the Fitness Devil podcast, we're welcoming my friend Lizzie Ostro. And Lizzie is a, a NASM certified trainer, but she's also a sound engineer. So we've got one of those dual career people, which is kind <laughs> of fun. And she's in Santa Monica, California. And she's one of the very few people I've ever referred a friend and a client of mine to go and train with outside of, uh, you know, because she moved. Uh, and I first met Lizzie in Kansas City. That was back in May of 2017. So we've talked about this on the podcast a bunch of times. So it was the first trip I went on something like that. And I met a lot of now who've been people who've been our guests and our industry friends. And we got to reconnect this past May. And so it's great to have you on the show. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. And kind of what, what were we just talking about? They were like, usually we end up talking about shit before the podcast and after. And then we're like, no, no, we got to get this story. So how did it even start? So I'll give you the sort of a little bit of the background and we'll kind of do the second question first. And so Lizzie, you were there the first year as part of Brett Contreras' demonstration in his, uh, his speaking slot and mm -hmm. he used you to demonstrate a whole bunch of glute exercises. So you started out as a client of his first in Phoenix, Arizona, and then went on to a personal training career of your own. So let's, let's sort of get that story. And also then we can go into the next part of the question about, you know, some glute training ideas. Cause when we had Brett on the podcast, we actually wouldn't let him talk about glutes because we try not to <laughs> do the cliched same questions. Any guest has asked, asked and answered a thousand times, but right. maybe you can get some of your thoughts on it because, well, it's a popular topic right now. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was, uh, I played sports my whole life. I, I was a total tomboy. So I played football, flag football. I was a quarterback and um, I played baseball with the guys until I was like 16. I even tried out for the high school team and politics kind of kept me from making that, but Brutal. that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, yeah. And freshman year of college, I found myself, I was going to school and working at a commercial real estate company. And it was the first year that I was not playing a sport. You know, I did high jump in high school. I played, I tried a year of softball, didn't love it. Um, so my roommate and I, our version of working out was we'd go to the rec center. We'd do the elliptical for about 15 minutes and then we'd go eat sushi or pizza, ice cream, you name it. Um, and I just would notice, I was like, all right, I'm starting to feel this freshman 15. I don't like this. I've always been active. Now I'm not. So I looked up uh, gyms that were near the office I was working at so I could just go on my way home and I found a place called Lifts and that was owned by Brett Contreras. Um, this was 2007 so 12 and a half years ago or something like that. Um, way before glute training was a thing before hip thrusts were popularized. Um, so yeah that's that's how I met Brett and I I walked in there and um, from the minute I stepped in, it was like family, you know, he was, he taught me how to lift weights. I didn't know how to lift weights at all. You know, I'd played sports, but I'd never, my version of going to the gym was going to the leg extension, going to the leg press, you know, the typical thing. Um, but he taught me how to squat, deadlift, hip thrust. We were and the way we have dressed back then was very different than, uh, the way we have dressed now. Um, and yeah, that was, that was how it all started. How is it different? I know he has all these contraptions, but like... Well, it, it's <laughs> mostly that, you know. Um, we Well, I guess it's I guess it's come back around. He's got the scorcher, which that's what we called it back then, the scorcher, where your, your back is elevated and your feet are elevated. And we had to take a barbell and you would carry it over and put it on someone's lap to do hip thrusts. 
There was no, there was no doing this yourself. Like you needed someone and you needed them to be strong because you had to carry the barbell and put it on their lap to, to do it. So, but yeah, we were hip thrusting. That was like 12 and a half years ago. So. He's refined it. I mean, now there's like, you can just loop bands around in special bench attachments and mm -hmm. there's all, he's got machines that he markets. There's other companies that are selling and marketing these machines. Uh, I just ordered a, a foam pad online so that I could hip trust my clients instead of relying on the ones that keep getting wrecked in the commercial gyms. Oh, and all yeah. of a sudden like three or four people see mine, then they go and order them themselves. A bunch of my clients have their own. And it's not a day in a commercial gym where you don't see some young woman who has got her own hip thrusting pad and knee bands <clears throat> who right. is in that gym. We've talked about this recently, and I know I post on social media that I've noticed in commercial gyms, the average level of knowledge and doing things right has dramatically improved in the, I've been in the industry over nine years now. Mm -hmm. So, and I've been going to commercial gyms a lot longer, probably 17 years actually. And the, it's dramatic how much things have changed. But then when I started to think about it a bit more, the old men haven't changed and the bros haven't changed. <laughs> Right. And the population that has is much more represented in gyms now, and they're the population that have developed all this good stuff, is overwhelmingly younger women. That's the right. demographic that has learned and embraced gyms and culture. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, because I mean, you fall under that heading, right? You're describing that experience. Well, it's really interesting, and I, I travel a lot. And one of my favorite things to do when I travel is to find the cool gym in that town and check it out. And it's usually a you know, owned by one person and the owners there that day. And it's been interesting because the last few years, obviously glute training, hip thrusts have become more popular and people know what it is. And you might actually find a hip thruster at a gym now. Um, but what's interesting is, I mean, there were many years where people looked at me like I was crazy and they'd be like, what are you doing? Is that for your back? Is that for your abs? And you still, every now and then you get people that are like, what are you doing? But I mean, it used to be like this girl's insane. What is she doing? That's inappropriate. You know, it was, it was not a thing and I never saw other people doing it. And I remember when it kind of started and I would see someone else doing hip thrusts and I'd, I'd always walk over to them and say, Oh my gosh, you're doing hip thrusts. Where did you learn this? And you know, it was really exciting because it was so rare. Now you go into a gym, they have some version of a hip thruster, whether it's Brett's or another company that's created one um and if not people are doing hip thrusts it's it's almost impossible to go to a gym now and not see someone doing it especially like you said younger women um and just the change over time of it used to be a lot of women it was you were doing cardio you were doing circuits um lightweight high reps it was like you know bunnies jumping around and now I see so many more women doing strength training. It's, it's not rare for me to walk in the gym and have to, you know, share a pull-up bar with another woman and maybe even weighted pull-ups. And that's, I mean, that's amazing. It's, and that's, you know, Brett is known as the glute guy, but I think that through that, he's really been able to reach so many people as far as teaching strength training to, to women and showing them that you're not going to be big, bulky, you know, bodybuilder looking person not that there's anything wrong with that but you know i always tell people you're not that special <laughs> well, the, the, so. uh, i was gonna say the unique we're talking about exercises and like how it's changed it's <laughs> i'm laughing it seems like everything is a glute machine it it's like it's like and it's not just girls like guys do it too but it's just like it's like we need to train our glutes and like we need to find a new way. It's like literally everything. Like I swear, like even that, well, as you're saying chin-ups, this is the chin-up thing. Like that's oh, yeah. a glute machine now. You know, it's, that could be a really great video is everything is a glute machine and you just go around the gym and do a glute exercise yeah. on every piece of equipment. You could do it. See, I think that Lizzie, if you did that, put on your social media, yeah, it'd be very entertaining. <laughs> if, no, but actually I think if Dean did it and put it on social media, it would probably be much funnier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the thing it. is, you could make it funny, but you could also do it. That's the other thing, you know, I, I talk about Brett a lot, but he really did teach me so much of what I know, and he's the one that, and he made me love it enough that it became a career for me, so, um, but he was always experimenting. That was, I mean, I'm telling you right from the beginning, it was always about experimentation, and I still, to this day, you know, I, some days are better than others and I'll see something and I'm like, huh, I wonder what that would be like. And you discover new modalities to do something. And I think that's so important too, is to always be uh, a student and 
try yeah. to learn and try to experiment and see what you can come up with. Well, we joke about new stuff, but like, I think this is like where, like you're going to give a lot of insight to our listeners, but like, what do coaches and clients need to do to get the most out of their glute training? Like what are some try, tried and true methods at this point like, that you use as a staple that are like super effective, like low hanging fruit stuff? I would say there's three main things. Uh, one being consistency. That's the biggest thing. And a lot of people have a hard time with staying consistent. They do something for a few weeks or whatever, and then they get discouraged or they go on vacation. Something interrupts that. So being consistent is one thing. Progressive overload. So making sure that you're always striving to, whether it's one more rep, a little bit more weight, a shorter rest time, uh, greater range of motion, whatever it is, always trying to beat what you did last time. And initially you probably will be able to do that. You're, it's not linear. So um, you can't expect to always be moving up or we'd all be just the strongest people in the world. Um, but you should be striving for that. And over time, uh, those numbers should be moving. Um, and then the third thing is varying how you do things, varying uh, your rep ranges. A lot of, and I, I've got a, a group of girls that I train. Um, there's three or four of them. I train them two, three times a week. And I started it because I would see a lot of women in the gym hip thrusting and they'd have 135 pounds on the bar and it would kind of stay in that, that range. And I would never really see them go heavier. And, and what I've definitely learned is you're a lot stronger than you think you are on hip thrust. If you've never really done them, you kind of look at, you're like 135 pounds. This is, this is a lot. And it might be initially, but those numbers are going to move quickly. People are a lot stronger than they think. And so I saw a lot of women that were afraid to go heavier because it's like, I don't want to get hurt. And you start, it's the visual. You see a lot of weight on the bar and immediately a lot of people's minds go to, oh, that's too much. I'm going to get hurt or that's too much. Um, so I see a lot of women that do a lot of high rep ranges or medium rep ranges, but, I, but not much in the low rep range. And I think there needs to be a combination of all of it. So there should be some heavier low rep. There should be some um, lighter high rep. Uh, I've got a client that, um, so she's 105 pounds. She was, I taught her how to hip thrust a couple of years ago. She came to a small clinic that I did. And then she kind of went off on her own and she was hip thrusting. I think she got up to like 205 on her own over the years. And then she said, you know, I want to, I want to start working with you. And she joined the group that I have, she, <laughs> we, we have a joke about it now, but, um, within this was, she started in January by March or April, I believe. First of all, there's a, I've got a photo. She grew like two inches on her glutes. I mean, it was like a huge difference and she's a very petite girl, very strong, but petite girl. Um, so for her to gain size is really difficult. She's one of those people that we all love to hate as women that she doesn't gain weight very easily. So she grew and um, that was by incorporating heavier weight. And she, she hip dressed 405, a body weight of 105 pounds, really <laughs> strong, like freak. Like I look at her, I'm like, you're a freak. You know, she's so strong, but she was too afraid to go past uh, that like 200 pound range. She was like, this is enough. It's too much. And I mean, now, we joke, we're like, Oh, we're only at three thirty-five today. And you know, so it's, um, it's a combination of all those things. And I think that women are sometimes afraid to go heavy for various reasons. And I understand that. And that's my goal is to try to teach women that it's not scary and it doesn't have to be scary. You know, you have to pay attention and listen to your body. And some days you're going to feel strong and like you can take over the world. And other days you're going to feel like the weight doesn't feel right. And, and you just don't do it that day. You know, you don't, fight your body on it. I think that's an amazing message uh, to get people more comfortable with it. I like using uh, heavy stuff for low rep for a couple of other reasons as well. And this is probably consistent with your experience is if you get people used to and emotionally like, not scared of those heavier weights, I think all of a sudden what was a one to three rep range eventually gets to five, gets to eight. And all of a sudden you're bringing up your working weight for sets in the eight to 10 rep range, but you've got to start there somewhere. Right. Uh, so I think that could be a really powerful thing. And plus people just really enjoy walking away with personal bests. They feel great about their workout when they're stronger. Right. And that can right. foster the experience of wanting to come back and do more. 
So, and especially for new clients and women who might be a little bit intimidated by the experience or struggling to form the habit, that can be life or death for making this a long-term part of their life. Right. Well, and on that same note, so this is, I'd say this is for most people, everyone's a little bit different, but when you get with the heavier weights, you're not feeling that burn like you do when you do a set of 15, 20, 30. So a lot of people are like, it's not working. And I, I mean, I've done three reps at 405 and I've, I'm like, I don't even feel like I did anything, but obviously I did because that weight moved. So something had to happen for that. Um, and what I tell people is you may not feel your glutes firing that particularly, but you might want to take a nap in like three hours. You know, your body's going to feel tired later on in the day. And so that's why also, and as a trainer, this is important to know, but you know, you want to give the client the best for them. You want them to be able to do their best and perform their best, but it's such a mental thing. All of this is so mental and you want them to walk out of there feeling good. So if, for, if feeling your glutes have that burn is a good feeling, you want to walk away with that. Okay. So you do your heavy sets and then do a glute burnout or do, you know, whatever it is that you're working out, do something that's in the eight, 10 rep range, do something that's 15 or 20, whatever it is. So you feel that burn and you walk out of there and you're like, all right. So it's like, you got your heavy work in and you were able to feel that, that burn, get that pump and feel really good walking out. And, and that's so important because if you don't enjoy your training, you're not going to do it. You're not going to stay consistent. That's another thing that I guess commonly gets missed because a lot of us trainers, so to speak, just like to, we like the training, we like the science of training, and we're like, it has to be this way because this works the best. And we forget about the client experience and that the client isn't us, they don't give a fuck. And like, possibly they might just want to feel blooper and they don't give a fuck that doing heavy yep. weights helps. But like, that gets so overlooked in terms of just even our businesses. And it's, mm -hmm. it's something that like, if we think about, it's not even that hard to kind of fulfill. Like you said, right. like a drop set. And like, they don't yeah. have to know that's not the most ideal for the goals, but like, it's their fucking goals. Who cares? Yeah. Well, and one of the, one of the drop sets that I use that it always makes me laugh because the first time someone does it, they start it. They're like, I need more weight. This isn't heavy enough. And by the end of the set, they're like, oh my gosh, my glutes. So I have them do, we pick between 10 and 15 reps, but you do, let's say 10, you go 10 pause reps three second pause at the top of each, then do 10 fast reps. And then you hold that 10th one for 10 seconds. And it's usually on rep, like three or four of the pauses. They're like, Oh, this isn't that much weight. This is fine. By the time they get to start doing the quick reps, they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't do this. And it's, I mean, it almost never fails. And every one of them goes, Oh my gosh, my glutes are on fire. You know? So it's one that I love to incorporate because I personally, I haven't found anything that either myself or my clients have been like, this is insane. Um, but it's also kind of funny to me because I like when they go, no, this isn't enough. It's not. And I go, just wait, just wait for it. Um, but yeah, to go off what you're saying, it, I mean, having it be enjoyable is probably number one. You know, you have to have good programming, but good pro programming doesn't mean anything if someone doesn't do it because they hate it. Um, and same with any exercise. If someone doesn't like hip thrust as much as I love them, and I think it's one of the greatest exercises, I'm not going to make them do hip thrust. If that's not something they're comfortable with and they don't like it, there are a million other things you can do. And, you know, same with modalities. I have a lot of clients, they don't want to do a barbell hip thrust. They only want to do bands or dumbbells or, you know, they don't want to touch the barbell and that's fine. You can get a great glute workout in a million different ways. And so I think it's important to, you know, I, I say this about life too, but learn yourself, learn how you best respond physically and mentally, emotionally, what works for you and how do you make fitness fit into your lifestyle? Um, and I, I mean, it took me a while to get to that place. I was the very opposite for a long time. I competed in uh, bikini the very first year in 2009 and, um, was working out three, three and a half hours a day. I would do an hour of cardio. I would do a boxing class. I'd lift weights. I'd go. I mean, I was just like, and, um, eventually developed eating disorders through it. I had such a really distorted way of looking at food, which many, um, bodybuilders and bikini competitors experience. And for me, it was all about 
um, making my life fit into fitness. My life revolved around fitness. My life revolved around food and my life in general, my life quality was not great. Um, and it took me so many years to really focus on me and focus on my life and to turn that around to where, uh, fitness fits into my lifestyle. And, you know, I started training with Brett in 2007. I haven't, I haven't stopped. I haven't taken a long break. You know, I've taken a couple days off here and there, but I've been training consistently and, um, and it's morphed a lot of different ways over the years, but I've figured out a way that works for me and fits into my lifestyle and complements my lifestyle. And I feel like the growth that I've had mentally by doing that, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be any of the places that I am without that. I truly, I always say um, that your physical strength breeds your mental strength. And I totally believe that because you go into the gym and you're kind of like, I don't know if I can do this weight. I don't know if I can lift this. And then you do it. And there you go. You've just built some confidence because something you thought you couldn't do, now you can do it. And that comes out in every aspect of your life, whether it comes to your job, your relationships with other people, you start to believe in yourself more. You build this self-confidence. And to me, that's the biggest takeaway of lifting weights, getting stronger. It's like the body and the physique is the side effect, you know? So I've long said that, you know, my well-being is inextricably linked to getting really serious about working out at 24. And I, like you, grew up playing sports, highly athletic, got in university, got away from that sport environment. And then at 24, I just wasn't feeling good about myself. And I got really serious about the gym and then it sort of took off. And then nine years ago, I started a fitness career. But my emotional well-being is the result of years and years of these good habits added up. And I, I'd like to think that you know, virtually every good thing that's in my life is directly or indirectly the result of this. My career certainly is. Um, a lot of the cool stuff that's happened with the career. And a lot of the friends that I have in my life, my closest friends are people that I met with, for, at first working at or attending uh, the old gym that I used to be at. And so yeah. most of the good people in my life, I actually know directly through it. So it's been the best gift that I could have ever received in my life. And that's part of, and I'm sure you feel the same way, why we are so passionate about wanting to help other people embrace it. Yes. We know what it's done for us. Exactly. It's, I mean, my life would be, I, I, I think about that sometimes I'm like, what would I be doing? And I, I can't answer the question because like I said, that mental strength and mental growth that has come from being in the gym, as silly as it sounds, the gym, working out, lifting weights, getting stronger has, a hundred percent been the reason for everything that's happened in my life. You know, it's really, I don't know where, I have no idea where I'd be without it. <laughs> I've done, I've done both. I've, I was a teacher before this and I'll tell you, you you're going to have the same, and this isn't to like make other people's jobs feel like shit. Um, but like we have a pretty good luxury in the fitness industry. And I think a lot of people agree, especially ones that have been in other careers, because like life doesn't operate with the same rules in fitness. You can wear shorts, the hours are like shitty at sometimes, but you can generally make your own hours eventually once you build yourself out. And right. like there's a, you get to be in the gym, especially if you like working out, like you get to do all the stuff you like for the career. And yeah, there's other shitty parts of it, but like literally yeah. the shitty stuff isn't as bad as every other bureaucracy job. Hopefully you love that because like I hated it and I would never go back. Let's, even, let's, yeah. take, let's take this and move it in a direction that we were going to talk about. And we sometimes on the podcast, we'll go into social media stuff, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to what we see versus reality. So we see a lot of portrayal of personal trainers, these easy lives, lavish travel, uh, you know, successful career. And we know none of this is easy through all the stuff we've been through. And a lot of people are frustrated seeing this illusion of ease and why it's been harder for them. So what in your experience is a better breakdown of the reality of keeping busy, finding clients to work with, and any of the unique difficulties that, that we have to deal with in our careers? So I don't do any marketing for myself directly and I've never needed to. Um, I think I've, I had, there were times that I tried a little bit, but, um, all of my clients come through referrals and a lot, some of those are from Brett. I've gotten a client through you. Um, obviously my social media, I post a lot of, uh, 
exercises that I do or workouts that I do. And I try to, I try to, you know, I used to try to, um, curate my social media. I tried to have a pattern and have a, and that's not me. And that's what I realized. It felt really forced because it was not me and me. I love fitness and I love working out and I also love music. And I'm also someone that I love to read and I love to write and I love philosophy. And so I started just shifting to, I'm just going to be me and what I've learned from fitness and kind of combine that. So you'll see a lot of my posts, there'll be a workout post and, and the caption will have a lot of just my overall, uh, like thoughts on life and how it relates to fitness. And, and, um, for me, I've gotten a lot of clients through social media. I would say actually most of my clients come through Instagram, whether they find me through some, some of them find me through Brett and a lot of them just end up on my page and they, their whole thing is they want to be fit and they want to be dedicated to it. But sometimes when they see people that are so obsessed and it seems like that's all that their life is, they are intimidated by that because they want this, but they're like, but I have a life and I don't want my life to just be about working out. So they see that I travel and I travel and I'll go see beautiful places and I get a workout in. And so again, everyone's different. And some people, you know, some people want that life that is just fitness all the time. And that's, that's, they'll find other trainers for them, but that's how most of my clients have come about. And to me, you know, do the best job that you can with every single client. And I learned this about myself too. So I used to discount rates for whether it was like for a close friend or I would do deals. And I found myself sort of feeling like there was a part of me that didn't want, that was almost resisting giving my all. Cause I'm like, Oh, well this person's only paying me this much, which sounds really uh, greedy, but it had more to do with um, just knowing that, that I'm valuable. And I think that's something people are afraid to talk about because it sounds greedy and it sounds, you know, like it's for me, it's not about money. If it was all about money, there's, I'd be making a lot more money. I, and I talk to my clients about this a lot because I always tell them don't train with me for longer than maybe a year. Because after that, what the way that I learned was I trained with a lot of different people. Brett was the most influential and he's still one of my dear friends. And I still, if Brett says it, it's, you know, I can almost take it without <laughs> even thinking about it. But I trained with a lot of different people. I trained with powerlifters and bodybuilders and and you learn different things. You take away different things from each person. And so I always tell people, train with me. But if you want to learn something about this that's not my forte, go train with that person. So I'm always and my goal is I want people to be able to do this on their own. I don't want them to need to rely on someone and feel like they need a coach. I think everyone can use a coach no matter what stage you're in, including someone at Brett's level. Everyone could use a coach, but you don't, you shouldn't need it all the time. And I want people to be self-sufficient and I want them to learn how to do things on their own so that they don't have to rely on me. And I think that, I think that's really uh, a big deal. So I give my all to my clients. I am really invested. I want the best for them. And if the best for them means I'm giving them to another person or the best thing for them is not to train with me. And that means me losing money, then fine. And I have no problem with that. I've referred, I've referred clients that pay me a lot of money to other people and lost that money because to me, it's not number one, you know? So that's kind of my whole thing on it. You and I have the same philosophy about this stuff. Absolutely. I'll extrapolate a little bit, not just with, you know, who you hire as a coach, but when you as a trainer or as a fitness professional, don't just get into one person you follow and take everything as gospel. And yes, we can safely say that the stuff that Brett is teaching us is going to be really, really good stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm currently about halfway through Glute Lab. That thing is monstrous, but it's a great training resource. Yeah. But at the same time, I've been heavily influenced by uh, you know, a lot of stuff. Dean Somerset is here. In fact, he just sent me a text message during the episode. So he's here in Edmonton. He's been a frequent guest on our podcast. And he's a partner in our uh, conference last year and again this coming year. And I've done every bit of continuing education I can get under Dean because he's probably one of the most knowledgeable, influential people in our industry. Uh, mm -hmm. I try to soak up a lot of Nick Tuminello stuff, Mike Isertel's teachings, Eric Helms, Tony Jellicor, and I could list 40 other names easily. 
instead of just indoctrinating yourself in one individual's right. philosophies, there are people on that list that I love, and 98% of it I think is wonderful, but there's at least a couple of examples I can think of where I fundamentally disagree with someone who has a PhD on how to implement something, right? And so mm-hmm. you don't, don't take it blindly, just expand your education, but expose yourself to a diverse array of ideas and influences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even, even if it's not a a disagreement on how, on someone's philosophy, um, we train a certain way. There's certain ways that based on how I've learned and how, what I've taken in over the last, you know, 12 plus years, there's ways that I train my clients and someone else might have virtually the same philosophy as me and still have a slightly different approach. And so I think it's, I know that what I've learned has been because I've, I mean, I've literally worked out almost every way you could imagine. I've been, I've done bodybuilding. I've competed in powerlifting. I've been a cardio bunny. I've done boxing. I've done um, a lot of hit training. I've tried all these different things and I've figured out what works best for me and what I enjoy. And I think it's important for everyone to figure that out for themselves. And you, you really can't do that if you only learn and have one person that you follow. You'll you're kind of just gonna mimic that, and maybe you'll find some other things on your own. But it's I think even if you have a trainer that's a shitty trainer, you can learn a lot from that too. You might a you might get one gem out of it, but you'll also learn some things like oh I actually don't like this and this sucks, <laughs> and that's important to know too. So let's pivot this now to something else. Um, not every trainer has a degree in exercise science. You and I mm-hmm. both have business degrees. That's a different yeah. background. And it's not stopped us from relentlessly pursuing education to probably the level of, if not vastly beyond that of, you know, a formal degree in this stuff. So what are your thoughts on the value of a business education for personal trainers? I think it's, I think it's huge. I mean, I, the reason I actually got my degree in business management was because I didn't know what else to get it in. (laughs) I literally, and at the time I was working in a commercial real estate office and I was kind of like, Oh, I'm going to do this. This is business. Like I can use a business degree no matter what I can do, which is true. And, um, when I started getting more heavily into personal training, I sort of, I started looking into going back to school because I was like, well, do I need to have a degree in this or, and what I started to realize, and I still feel this way, you know, the business background has allowed me to, I've always been sort of business minded and kind of entrepreneurial anyways, but it allows you to, you know, you can be really skilled at something and not have any idea how to make it into something that actually brings you an income. You can, I mean, I know some of the most talented people in the world. Some some of them are musicians that I'm like, oh my gosh, they're amazing, but they don't really have a great business sense. And, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with, um, you know, your value as a trainer you have to approach this as a business if, if it's something that you want and, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't mean you're any less passionate about it, but we all need to make money. We all have to pay rent or a mortgage or whatever. And, um, and on the other side of that too, is if you want to be able to help a lot of people, you have to figure out a way to do that. And that's again, figuring out how your business works how are you going to make this into something that not only gives you the living that you want but also is allows you to help the people that you want and reach the people that you want so I think it's you know I had a lot of years where I was like uh I don't really know how this fits in but now you know that's changed a bit and I also I'll never discount education because I think there's a lot that I would have gotten from an exercise science degree um or beyond that and there's a lot of things that I don't know that because I don't have that, but at the same time, experience will, will trump everything any day. And because having the knowledge and not being able to apply it in the real world is also a disconnect. So you kind of have to have both. And um, again, I've been really lucky to have had some amazing mentors throughout my fitness career that have really taught me both. I mean, <laughs> when I started training with Brett, back in 2007 I mean we'd sit on the couch in the front room afterwards he used to make me write my own workouts he taught me how to write my own workouts he would he taught me how to how to figure out what weights I should use you know he started he was a teacher before he got into personal training and all and owned a gym and 
that part of him has never left. He loved to teach. And so he was teaching me how to write my workouts and he'd sit on the couch next to me and he'd point to different parts of his leg and be like, what muscle is this? What muscle is this? You know? And, and I was not at a point where I was like, I want to be a personal trainer. I was just training, but he wanted to, you know, he wanted to teach me those things. And, um, so I've been really lucky to have people that were willing to, to teach me. And then I've done a, I mean, I've done a lot of continuing education, attending seminars, reading research, and um, sort of done my own education outside of certifications and that kind of thing. Um, but it's important to have both because if you can't apply the knowledge that you have, uh, you're not going to get very far. So it's interesting. You know, I, I look at what people, what degrees people have and the knowledge that they have on paper. And I take that as something, but I also like, what's your experience? And, um, you know, I work uh, in management at a gym in Santa Monica called Iron. And there were many years where I was in charge of hiring trainers and you'd get a resume and you'd see their certifications. And some of them would have, you know, six, seven certifications. They'd been training for two years. And then you get someone else who's like, I just have a personal training degree, but they've got a laundry list of different things that they've done working with sports teams and working with, um, you know, high level athletes. And they've got all this experience. And to me, that's the person I'm, I'm a little bit more curious about, you know, your education is super important and, and having knowledge is very important, but there's also something you gain from just the experience and working with clients because you can spend all your time, you could memorize a book about training clients, but until you're actually there with them and you're with a live human who's got emotions and baggage and potentially injuries and all, all of that until you're there and in the weeds with it, you know, and that's, I think too, with a lot of the online training, I used to do some of it. I don't do much of it anymore because it's really difficult. I'm really hands-on and I want to be in there with someone and it's really hard to do that um, online. And you can always tell the online trainers that don't work with people in person because on paper it looks good and it sounds good, but until you're actually in the weeds with someone, it's different. It's a whole different ballgame. I've got an online client. We've never met in person. She lives in California. She's up in the mountains. Uh, she's a musician. <laughs> I'll throw her name out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she listens to these, so hopefully she gets excited. And yeah, like she was snowed out of her gym, like where they are. The weather was so bad. They, like, they didn't even have any power in their house. So of oh, course... Wow. You know, and we're texting back and forth and we get on a Skype call, whatever she needs, at least once a month. Mm -hmm. And there's always some element of making adjustments to her lifestyle because she's sometimes um, got gigs or occasional tour. Or we've got to adapt to stuff. And it, it became, when there was some power, doing a home workout body weight plus kettlebells that she has, uh, it, she wasn't able to go to the gym for an entire week. So, you know, you have to pivot to that sort of stuff. But if you're able to, you, and you can really foster a great relationship with your distance life if you're willing to invest. Yeah. In them. yeah. But I know there's people who probably do like a high volume of online clients. I don't know how people do that effectively with that level of detail. <laughs> but I also know, and I, we can use Brett as an example, because I have two clients who I originally got because they saw Brett share our podcast episode on his feed, saw the Edmonton uh, geotag on it. <clears throat> They're like, what the hell? Who's this? This in the podcast. Like, whoa, you know, who's Brett's friend up at Edmonton? So they started following me. One found me in a commercial gym and walked up to me and started talking. <laughs> now she's one of my best friends. Yeah. And I completely lost my train of thought with that. Well, my train oh, of thought. I know. I know. I know. Sorry. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> he's got his online stuff. And I mean, he has hundreds of clients with online easily. And he's modifying programs and doing stuff. But he's also serving them for what they're looking for. And these are right. also probably really high knowledge level people who are able to take the way he programs and use it. I know he right. just positively cannot invest in the one-on-one -on -one time with that number of people and do what he does. Right. Well, and he works with people live. And that's, I think that's the difference is I'm more talking about people that are only doing the online training. Yeah. Because if you do work with people in person, you understand you kind of have a better picture of, you know, them walking in the gym and how they're going to do things and approach things. So having that knowledge is huge and having that experience is huge. Um, and that, and that carries over into, I'm sure it carries into you, the way that you train your clients online. It carries over into how Brett does his programming for his different programs. Um, 
so but you can you can always tell when someone you're like you don't work with people do you yeah <laughs> you know tough for them like unless you've got the we'll call it reps but unless you got the reps in the gym and you, even you were touching on certifications like you have six certifications well like depends on that time frame it takes like a good little while to use that stuff actually be able to apply it to the standards right. which usually their models of some sort have been mm -hmm. designed to fix like you can't just get the model to fix people you have to actually do it and again you can tell the people who who do that even online because it's just like the context is totally lost because they you can tell they just learned it which right. is which is a problem because then you get these watered down versions of products and online training is a perfect example is they end up just becoming programmers Right. Like they're, well, and they're not coaching because they, they don't actually do that. A lot of people think programming is coaching. They're completely lost right. in the notion that there's anything beyond here's your program, do as you're told. And yeah. this is a pet peeve of mine in the local bodybuilding community. And I haven't seen this crap in a while, but there's always some post, and it's the same type of coach, they're very old school, that they make a blast post criticizing the clients who do not check in and do not follow the program to the letter. And then they say, it's not my job to track you down. It's not my job. This, this is like, you're not a coach then if you're not actually right. working with someone through the individual challenges and struggles. I think that's what sets apart the best coaches is when things aren't automatic. Right. People aren't easily adhered. And I like, I, and I still, I have a few online clients and it, if someone is week after week, they're not finishing their workout or they're not making it, my question is, okay, so this clearly is not fitting in with your life. What do we need to change to make it fit? And that's just like you're saying it. I don't go, Oh, they're lazy and they suck. I'm like, this isn't fitting with their life. So they're not able to make it. So we need to adjust it so that it does. And sometimes that means maybe you do less and they can commit to, okay, three days a week was too much, but maybe you can do two days a week. You know, um, it's little adjustments. It's little tweaks that make it work for somebody. And it's, it's not their fault. It's, it's usually if a coach is saying, Oh, they just don't follow it and they don't do this. It's like there's something, there's a disconnect there. And, and, you know, back to the whole certification thing, I have a certification. I don't know that I apply much of that. You know, my, I feel like my training philosophy is, I would not say it is based on that model. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't refer back to that and go, this is how I'm going to, you know, that was knowledge that I gained and, and, quite frankly, you have to have a certification. But again, a certification is just a very, very small piece of it. And I think that your experience and your own commitment to education and what you are willing to do on your own to gain knowledge, that's, that's the real education. You know, the thing you get on paper is one thing, but you know, you could have two people could have the same certification, but one person is super invested in it. The other one just did it to get it done. So, you know, There's a lot of people that do that. I, the, what I call them, like the collectors, the fitness yeah. collectors. <laughs> like it's, so yeah. stupid. it's like, you literally don't even, it's crazy to me that people will go to the, like FRC is a perfect example because like fucking there's thousands and thousands of people that have it. And like, I don't even think anyone that goes there even understands what the fuck they're doing outside of like the, strong professionals who are using it in the context it was designed for but it's just like like why are you paying that much money to be shitty at something like go right well and, and that's the thing is their time would be much better invested yeah. actually going and working with people and and experimenting with themselves or you know go with a buddy in the gym and go i'm curious about this if it works let's try this for yeah. six weeks like that, that stuff's fun do a little experiment on like, yourself the fact you said six weeks is like that's not the norm because it's just like your assumption is that it's going to take a while. And it's like, well, I went this, it should just fucking work. And I'm just going to do it. It's like, well, like yeah. you can't learn anything in, in like 15 hours, like, well, no. No. or at least in an application to be able to coach it in like a real world setting. And like some people yeah. are better at it. Like someone like, like you would be good at going to a course like that and applying it faster because you have more in-person experiencing, you have a bigger toolbox, but like a lot of the new trainers, like they don't get, that speed into it because like i mean i'm i'm 12 years in i'm still learning things about my like about squatting and deadlifting and hip i mean it doesn't stop there's you just continue to learn there's always more to learn and especially because we're all different everyone is different and especially when it comes to glute training i always tell people i'm like what works for me might not work for you 
might work for another person might not work for it's everyone's different and so you have there's no I know it all there's no point where you hit that where you go this is the way for these people and this is the way for these people because you're still and I bet Brett even still has people that pop up where he's like oh this is a different case and he's worked with thousands of people all over the world you know um, I bet you've had the same experience but given the fact that we have worked with a lot of people when you're seeing something live presented I'm sure you've had times where okay you see something presented and then you think immediately of a client that this automatically applies to and you're like, Oh, that'll be perfect for this person. I can't wait. And I actually can remember back when I first met you and you were part of Brett's demonstration. And I have a client who basically we, we joke that she's my Lizzie. Her name is Alyssa and she worships Brett and she loves him and she's wanted to blow up her butt. And we have this joke. She wants to make it like, like block out the sun. And guess what? We've been pretty successful with it. She sort of stands out that way. And sure enough, a lot of stuff he's doing, it's like, okay, I can't wait to do this stuff with Alyssa because she's going to love it because I've had that experience coaching with her and a lot of other clients over the years. And to Dean's point about brand new people, they just don't yet have enough of that to be able to say, I can see how I can apply yeah. this. Now, that's not yeah. just where people from going out and learning and absorbing. It's just encourage you to go fucking do right. it. Right. But it, you're right. The experience is critical. And one of the best educators that I've ever had in my career is the fact that I got really busy really quickly in a commercial gym setting and I just stayed really damn busy. I'm somewhere north of 15,000 client training hours in nine years. Wow. And that's been a lot of my education. Then I go out and I grab onto stuff as relentlessly as I can or surgically as I can to enhance that. But right. I've learned more by actually working with people than any other single format. Now this goes yeah. to the last thing we wanted to, to talk to you about before we run out of time was the idea about the low barrier to entry to get, we have a business degree, Dean's background, his formal education is also not in exercise science. And I have a fairly basic certification that I've tacked yeah. onto. And when I hear people complain about, oh, there's a low barrier to entry and there should be, everybody should have to have like this level of education. I understand what they're saying, but I actually don't explicitly agree with that sentiment because there are a lot of really skilled, intelligent, and caring qualified trainers who did start out with a basic piece of paper that gave them the right to train, but then worked really hard at getting better. So what are your thoughts on the barriers to entry? I totally agree with you. I, most of the time, I mean, there's some certifications out there that are good. There's some that are great. There are a lot of really shitty ones. Um, it gives people a false sense of this person knows something. And it can mean that, and it can also not mean that. And so to me, it doesn't actually change anything other than, okay, you were able to go take the time to learn a textbook, really, because the way that all these certifications are tested for the most part um, are not in a practical sense. Some of them are to a degree, but... Um, I don't think that that would necessarily change the quality of, of personal training in a big way. I think that it would give more of a false sense that people are more educated and more qualified. But I, again, I, I just believe personally, you have to have some education. You can't just, you know, you need to know some basic things about the human body or you're really not going to get very far. So I don't, I'd also don't want to discount that and say, you don't need to learn any of that. You do how you do that. I think there could be a lot of different ways to do that. And then having that experience and working with different people that are that have been around for a long time and looking for those people and knowing how to spot those people. I, I have a lot of um, people that reach out to me saying, you know, I want to hire a trainer. How, what's the best way to find somebody? And that's huge too, because for someone that's not in this world, it's hard to know who they should listen to. And there's so much information out there. It's like, you know, that's like when I started, we had bodybuilding.com, but there wasn't just Instagram and, you know, none of this is now there's like a flood of information, which has done a lot of really good things. And it's also really confusing because you could look at four different pages and have four completely different th things are telling you do this. No, don't do this. No, do this. No, don't do this. So um, I think that learning 
how to find the right people is really important as not only as a, a client, but as a coach, who are the people that I should be listening to? So it's, it's, you have to be educating yourself in both worlds in the actual science of everything. And, and again, how you do that, I think can be up to the individual, whether it's through certifications or a degree or just through going and doing some mentorship with somebody who really knows their stuff or doing your own research. We've got everything at our fingertips. You could learn, but knowing where to go to actually learn the right, correct information, you know, that I think is the bigger thing. There's one thing you touched on that I think like, I agreed with all of it, but (laughs) the people that go to, and I'll I'll be careful what I say, because there's a lot of degrees, but most of the trainers that I know that are like, the worst or like the most closed off to new ideas and learning are the ones with formal education in a lot of these yeah. kinesiology things. Cause they go there and it's like, because I have this higher level of education, they do, they know physiology and all this shit. They think that that gives them the ability to be better than someone who's coming up with these smaller, we'll call them weekend certs. But I find that the people with weekend certs generally are hungrier. Like and then obviously there, there's a, there's a spectrum, but most of the pretentious pricks that I know all went to school for this Well, a weird dichotomy because you would think that they would be the most interested in learning more because of the education system. Well, there's also, uh, to that point, there's more of a black and white thinking with that because they've learned things as fact. Yeah. And both fitness and the entire world live in the gray area. And people are really uncomfortable in the gray area because it's not secure. There's not, the answer to most questions when people ask me is it depends. And that is not an answer that anybody wants for anything. Well, how, what, what's the best way for me to do this? Well, that depends. And it's not a sexy answer. It does. It's not going to get me a bunch of likes on Instagram. It's not going to get me a bunch of, you know, shares, but that's the truth of the matter. And I think that you're more, you know, like you said, and again, this doesn't apply to everyone because some of the biggest people that I look up to are very highly educated. So I'm not discounting their education, but the reason that I uh, believe in them and, and listen to what they're saying isn't because of their degree. It's because their passion and their dedication to the actual craft. They got these degrees and they have this education, but what you see and what, what comes out is their dedication and their passion for actually learning and being well-rounded in the field. And I think that, like you said, you get those people that are, they've got these degrees and it gives them this sense of like, well, I'm better than you and this is the way and whatever all these other people say is wrong. Whereas I think if you don't have that, you know, you can be a little bit more open-minded to going, like I was saying earlier, you can learn things from shitty trainers. Every now and then they'll do something that's actually kind of smart. You know, in general, you look at them and you're like, what are you doing? But you might or you might see them doing something and it might give you an idea for something. So it's, it's having that open mind and seeing like, okay, this is what science says and, and whatever. But again, applying it to the real world, sometimes, it, you know, it's the same thing when it goes to, you know, diet and nutrition and all that. There is a, an ideal way to eat, which is debatable. But there's, you know, the ideal way to eat. But it's not ideal if you can't stick to it. So it's kind of arbitrary, you know, and, and the same is with training. You can have this perfect way and this is the best way to be the strongest, but if it can't really apply in the real world, it doesn't matter. It actually has no weight. So the volume matters. Lift, the only thing that matters in intensity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like none of the effective reps in 20, upwards of 12 to 20 sets of muscle. Like you, you don't get right. that. You can't get results. It's the, it's the old, if you don't have protein within 30 minutes, you're, <laughs> You know, I haven't had protein within 30 minutes of my workout in probably eight years and I'm still getting stronger. So I must be an anomaly. You know, it's like, it's those things where it's, there is an ideal thing. And, and I just realized like, if I drink a protein shake after my workout, I want to like throw up. So I stopped doing it. <laughs> um, I had a thought there. <laughs> I'm grab onto it. I feel a little absent-minded today. I think we are talking about there are two different populations within our industry that it's important to differentiate too. And the people who are focused on optimization, we just had an episode with Gabrielle Fundaro from Renaissance Periodization. And 
the type of people that are doing a lot of their programming, high level programming, are very adherent, very competent people who are looking for optimization of muscle growth and strength. And then what a lot of us are still dealing with mostly, mostly. and a lot of personal trainers are dealing with mostly, are the general population that struggle exactly the way you do, where a perfect theoretical program on paper probably will not yield them good results because as you said they won't simply do it because it doesn't fit their lifestyle it doesn't fit their skill level doesn't fit where they are mentally mm -hmm. so i think it's really important to differentiate which type of person we're talking about and it yeah. is really important to have both of the skills of the knowledge base to optimize but also the coaching skills the psychological skills and the experience to maneuver to cater to that individual who is not in a place where they can optimize so Absolutely. I think skill, skilled coaches know both of those things. Anyone who gets yeah. one realm or the other is missing at least part of it. Okay, so let's get, it's funny, when we originally were gonna do this episode, we were, uh, we were delayed a little bit from getting you on. So we mm -hmm. used to ask everybody about a book and that's what's in the script. But we've actually pivoted now because we're on this recent bent about focusing less on consuming a lot of information, more on encouraging trainers to be creative. And I actually think this is one of the best episodes we've ever had for a trainer who is trying to learn and be inspired and do better work. It's been so practical. But now what I want to do is find out what are some of the things that you're doing away from your career in fitness. And you sound like you're someone who actually does kind of well with the balance. You're not obsessed with putting social media out there constantly or promoting yourself. So what do you do in the downtime? And maybe talk about the little sound engineering a little bit. Yeah. So I'm a sound engineer working in recording studios, um, which is the initial reason that I moved to Los Angeles. Um, I've always been into music my entire life. Played piano at a young age, played guitar, but I was never particularly amazing at my in instruments. So um, while I was going to ASU for my business degree, I also started going to school for sound engineering at a community college there. So I learned how to do that, moved to LA. And that was sort of my way for me to enjoy music. And I would say, especially over the last few years, it's such an outlet for me um, because it's such a different world from the fitness world. Uh, it, I'm a really creative person and creative brain and I need that outlet. And um, so yeah, I work in recording studios, with uh, various musicians, rock bands, all kinds of things. I've gotten to work on some really amazing records. And um, for me, it's like, and people say, well, well, why don't you wanna just do that? And I personally need both. I need both fitness and music in my life. And I, if I just dedicated myself to only one or the other, I, I wouldn't feel right. So, um, for me, I need both of those things. It's like, and I always joke, I go, I couldn't have picked the more opposite industries as far as the hours because <laughs> fitness is like an early morning thing and music is like a late night thing. So I just, I'm like, well, I just don't sleep. But um, I truly need both of them and they both feed and fuel each other. So, you know, the fitness part of things energizes me for the day, you know, training clients in the morning and, and having that interaction and seeing them grow both in the gym and just also start to love things or start to realize things or have those epiphanies in the gym. I love that. And then I'm in, I'm in the studio in the evenings and I'm working on rock records and it's amazing. So yeah. Are you allowed to say what rock records you've worked on or any major, major bands? Just don't say Nickelback. Um, I can, <laughs> I can, yeah, I can, I can say a few of them. Um, you know, I worked with Volbeat beginning of this year. Cool. Rock band. I, a lot of people probably won't know who that is, oh, but um, yeah, I w worked on guitars with uh, Rob Caggiano. Um, more recently, um, I've been in the studio working with, uh, I don't know if I can say this band. I'm going to not say this band, but they're, they're a big uh, band from the early 2000s and hopefully, hopefully you'll see their stuff soon. People, People could probably deduct it uh, via various ways, but I probably shouldn't say anything. That's, that's fine. You don't have Because there's no, there's no record announcement yet. I'm going to just leave that there. But um, I've been in the studio with Weezer. I've been in the studio with, um, you know, Dionne Warwick. I've been, like, all across the board, different genres of music. I recorded guitar for a Demi Lovato track a few years ago. So it's, it's all over the place. But, um, but I, it's 
yeah, it's just, it's like the other part of me. I always say you can either find me in the gym or the studio. That's really <laughs> or cool. Or on a plane. It, you guys obviously can't see the video. We, we have 95% of our guests, we can see them on videos we're talking. And like Lizzie's just lighting right up with this broad, real smile. <laughs> She's actually she sitting with a guitar on her back. She has like the yeah. guitar hanging off her back. And I've like, actually been writing a song this whole time, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, I suppose there'll be a time uh, eventually where we'll actually let somebody who's a guest actually play some music on here. But uh, <laughs> we're almost <laughs> out of time, so we want to make sure yeah. everybody knows how to find you because I really hope the people listening who may not, our regular listeners who may not know you as well as say some of the guests who are really really massive in terms of their social followings or present regularly at conferences but i want them to actually check out what you're doing too so where do we find you yeah find me on instagram it's uh, at fit lizio f-i-t-l-i-z-z-i-o uh that's the best way to find me i have a website that i don't update very often but fitlizio.com um and i train my clients in santa monica there's a gym called iron it's a really awesome boutique style gym. Um, so I train clients in the mornings there, so you can find me there too. But Instagram's a good place to start. <laughs> cool. I oh, appreciate it. Awesome. And obviously, we've uh, we've talked a little fair bit about Brett Contreras. So we've had Brett on an episode quite a while back, and it's actually probably one of the more animated and passionate episodes you know a guest has ever been on there. So he's really great. So if you guys are finding us more recently. I'd say start there. Go back, check that one out. And we've dropped a bunch of other names in the podcast. Just take a look through our catalog of guests. We've got a, a shit ton of people who have a lot of education. Then we have a shit ton of people who uh, came more from humble beginnings on the educational side and gained a lot of experience. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Shut up and sit down.